A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, imagine you're on the new earth. You've been there for 7,820 years and you're worshipping and you're exploring and you're involved in meaningful activity and work that never gets boring or old or tiresome. You enjoy friendship without any fallouts uh, or any complications and, and, and um, every worship song is your favourite worship song. You don't feel old or creaky or in pain. You are working as you should. Your entire body is working as it should, just like the world around you is. And you realize once again that this is what shalom means. It's the peace of a world working as it should in the worship of its creator. And the only people who are in heaven are folks like you, folks who actually want to be there worshiping God. And so even though you've been there for 7,820 years, you still have the heart of an explorer and the wide-eyed wonder of a child. And so as you walk through the new North Gore or wherever it is that, that you live, someone that you've never met comes up to you and they say to you, hey, I was wondering when I would bump into you. And so as you stand there wondering uh, who on earth they are, they, they share this story of this missionary who came to their village and they dug a well and while they were digging, uh, they told the story of Jesus. And this, and this person in front of you, as they heard this story and as they, as they saw the fresh water coming out of the ground, they, uh, they chose to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. They thought he's probably worth following. And so as they're recounting this, you remember the name of this missionary that you supported on the old earth. You read their, their status, up, uh, status updates on Facebook, and you remember giving. Now, you didn't always want to give, but you gave regardless. And you remember those moments of faith where you gave and you weren't necessarily sure how you were going to make ends meet. Or maybe you had to say no to this thing so that you were able to give. You remember all of this. And then as you look into the eyes of this person in front of you, someone you've never met, they say to you, I'm here because of you. This uh, series on faith has been challenging to me. And it's been encouraging, but it's been challenging. And the last two Sundays when Josh unpacked Praying by Faith, uh, it made me feel like my... my um, that I was waking up once again to the wonderful power of prayer. And I know that a number of you have shared with me that your prayer life has been re-energized. 
So thank you, Lord. Now, prayer is something that we we don't do. And the reason most often that we don't do it is because we don't see immediate results necessarily. It, it seems mostly that our prayers flow into this um, sort of a black uh, sort of a, uh, it's a black box, you know, that the Lord's holding and, uh, and we don't see the results. Now, finances is sort of the same. We often choose not to give to God's work or the reason that, or the most regular reason that we would not give to God's work is because we don't see immediate results. It's not like a one-armed bandit where, where, you know, the money goes in and then you pull the lever and the money comes out, hopefully. And so many of us sort of don't have a theology of stewardship. We file the money issue away for a rainy day and we never actually get around to it. But this morning we are going to get around to it. We are going to look at what, what giving by faith looks like. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. And as you find it, let me tell you a little bit of the backstory. So um, the church in Corinth had uh, started a collection earlier for the church in Jerusalem who was suffering and who was needy. Now, they'd started the collection, but had obviously left it unfinished. Uh, it's a bit like when I start to write an email and then I get uh, distracted by Facebook and then five weeks later I find this half-finished email in my draft folder. That's what it was like here. They'd started something, but they hadn't finished it. Now, as we go through the passage, we'll read a verse. We'll then ask a question um, regarding that verse, and then we'll answer the question through what we see in the verse. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Where are you sowing? Where, where are you investing? You know, the, the Lord wants a church made, of, made up of people who have skin in the game. And so some of us do have skin in the game, but some of us have little or no skin in the game. Because we're hoping that others have enough skin in the game to make up for our lack of skin in the game. Now, the language that Paul uses in verse 6 is that of sowing. Sowing. Investing money in God's kingdom purposes is like sowing. Now, there's a physical action involved in sowing, right? You know, you have to dig into your pocket or your farmer's pouch, whatever it is, and then you have to pull out the seed and you relocate the seed. And it's then, after the seeds have been relocated onto the right soil, that the seeds um, st uh, start multiplying, start, start growing. And so if your financial resources are not sown for God's purposes, then you will never know the multiplication or the growth of your resources. Seeds left on their own will die or they'll lie maybe dormant, you know? But seeds that are planted multiply and grow and bring food or fruit or nutrition. And they also bring more seeds, which are then replanted. And so it's not a mistake that, that the Lord uses the image of sowing to talk about finances. But like in sowing, 
the return isn't immediately um, necessarily tangible. You know, it's, it's not something you can see. Sometimes it takes weeks or months or years to see that, you know, the change or the impact that your, your giving has made. Maybe we'll only see in heaven, like in my story at the start. But the principle is clear. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Simple physics, simple biology. Let's move on to verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the question being asked in verse 7 is, what is my freedom? What is my liberty? Where am I free? What is my freedom? And I love this verse because, because this verse takes our giving out of the realm of the law and moves it into freedom, moves it into liberty. This is not an I should verse, is it? There's not a hint of, well, God told me to give and so I guess I better give. This verse is about freedom. Now, of course, God calls us to be obedient over and over and over again in the Bible. You know, you know life with Christ isn't a free-for-all. Uh, John 14, 21 makes this clear. He says, um, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me, which is shown by, keeping, by, by having Jesus' commands and keeping them, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So, of course, obedience is absolutely essential. But in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, uh, the church at Corinth, in response to this very real-time, real-world need, are told to give what each person um, has, has, has decided in the heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. And why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Which I guess must mean that when something is given under duress or uh, uh, because of obligation um, with a should or an ought to attach to it, that, that maybe it's not as precious in the Lord's eyes. It's like on Valentine's Day. If I went to Wendy and I said, man, it's Valentine's Day again. So I got you an, an expensive bunch of flowers again because it's Valentine's Day. So here you are, and I shove them in her hands, and then I walk off with a stomp. How well would that gift be received? We give, but not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Paul here mentions no amount of money, no percentage. Now, maybe some of you see the loophole that I see. Well, awesome. I'm going to give nothing cheerfully. After all, the only requirement is that I do it cheerfully and that I don't do it under compulsion, right? Well, actually, there is another requirement here. There is another expectation that you actually give. You know, think about, about it. You can't give nothing. If you give nothing, it's a non-action. It's an absence of action. And so Paul here is assuming that you are giving and that it's done in a cheerful way. So how can Paul assume, A, that we're giving, and B, that we're doing it in a cheerful way? Well, it's like Valentine's Day, right? 
because I experience the love and affection uh, from Wendy and my girls throughout the year. On, when Valentine's Day comes around, around, it's easy to give them, you know, the flowers or the chocolates or whatever on Valentine's Day. And the same is for us with relation to the Lord. Because we experience, you know, the blessing and the love and the salvation and the forgiveness and the cleansing and the strengthening and the hope of God, um, we in turn give to the things that he loves. You know, the things that extend his influence here on earth, whether that's the local church or missions agencies or local nonprofits or simply your neighbor who's going through a hard time. We're now going to hear from my friend as she shares her story of giving by faith. Morning, Juliana. Thank you for joining us this morning. Morning. Why don't you start by maybe telling us a little bit about yourself, about uh, how you were brought up and um, how the way that you were brought up impacted your view of, of living by faith. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I consider myself very blessed to have parents that live faith-filled lives. They were in full-time ministry for over four decades and spent many years doing church planting work. There were times maybe when they felt pretty stretched or couldn't see how everything was going to work out. I mean, living by faith isn't always easy and, you know, being in full-time ministry and raising a house full of kids uh, probably added to that. But God was always faithful. He would make a way and provide. And uh, we even had some times where people would randomly bless us by giving them some money or some groceries. And so we'd see God blessing us and taking care of us through that. Uh, later on, as a student living in Toronto, I um, got to a point where I was really struggling and uh, was exhausted all the time. I had a full schedule of classes and my labs and studies. Plus, I was working every night and weekend to make ends meet. And then I found out just before my last year and a half of my program that even with student loans, I wasn't going to have enough funds to cover the costs. And I remember calling my mom and crying about it. And she listened and prayed with me. And I felt really encouraged afterwards. And about 15 minutes later, I got a call from a friend of my parents um, offering me a personal loan that would more than cover the cost uh, of what I was short for the next year and a half. So I wouldn't have to try to worry about how I was going to make up this money, how I was going to find it. And I hadn't spoken with them in many months and I hadn't shared with them about my finances or my worries. So I was really surprised and just overwhelmed by their generosity and by God's goodness, because it was a, a significant amount of money. And it was just obvious that right after I had that conversation with my mom and we prayed about it together, like 15 minutes later, I got this call answering that need. Could you share with us your theology of stewardship? I recognize that everything that Curtis and I have and enjoy, including our ability to work and earn an income, are all a gift and a blessing from God. So I think to the Psalms, where we are told numerous times to look after the poor and the needy, and the many examples in the New Testament where people gave to the church, for it to be distributed among the needy and to support the work of missionaries. So that's the example that we follow. Uh, we give to help meet the needs of others and to support the work of spreading the gospel. For me, giving and tithing, I think, are acts of obedience and faith. Um, I think tithing is 
probably more of an exercise in trust for Christians than it is something we do because God needs our money. Tithing reminds us and forces us to face um, where we are putting our faith. Are we putting it in our money and our ability to earn it? Or are we actively choosing to put our trust and faith in God? And I think sometimes we can hold on to our money, whether it's a little bit or a lot, with a really tight grip and not realize that God is there waiting for us to open up our hands so he can take the little that we do have and bless it. I think money is just a tool that God has given us to use and to do his will. It's not where our security comes from. And so I feel that when God is calling us, either individually or together as the church, to step out in faith and to do something or to give, we have a choice to make. We either choose to obey or we choose not to. And of course, as people that love God, we always want to choose to obey. Um, so I think what we need to do is uh, not try to wait till we have all the answers, not wait until we have all of the finances or the monies in place first in order to feel like we're being good stewards or we're, we're confident in I have this money and then I can, then I can obey you. We just need to um, simply trust him and step out in faith and obedience as he's calling and leading us. And then when we do that, um, we get to watch as he makes it happen. And then that way he gets the glory as we depend on him and not on our circumstances or our own finances. Mm. And I think a perfect example of this happened in our church life just a few months ago when uh, the people of Cornerstone gave generously towards the new roof that was urgently needed. And you've said many times that we've never had a situation like that before where we had to raise such a significant amount of funds for a project, but we did it. And I believe that as God's people gave generously and in faith, God blessed us for that. And we were able to raise up all the money that was needed in a really short amount of time. So if someone is not tithing or giving, um, what do you think is at stake if they don't? We don't experience the fullness of God's blessing and the fullness of God's presence in our lives and the fullness of what he wants to give us and what he wants us to experience. You know, we, we have our little bit in our hands and we don't, we're reluctant. We're like that toddler that doesn't want to give that little bit and they don't realize that their parent is there saying, but I've got so much more for you. But first I need you to trust me. I think that's what is at stake is that is knowing God more fully and whatever blessings he may have in store for you. But we need to make sure that we're placing our faith first in him. What would you say to someone who hasn't yet uh, taken the step of faith of regularly tithing or regularly giving to God's work? I'd encourage you to pray about it and study on, on why you should see uh, what the Bible says and maybe reflect on the reasons why you're not. Um, ask him what he would have you do. And I'd say reflect on who God is. Has he shown himself to be good and faithful? Um, can you trust him? And I know that at least for myself, when I have um, stepped out in faith and obeyed when he called me to follow him, he was always faithful. So I'd encourage you to trust him and take those steps. Awesome. Thanks so much. Juliana, for your faith and for your example.
verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So far we've asked, where am I sowing? And what is my freedom? Verse 8 and 9 ask the question, um, who resources me? What are my resources? Uh, who, is, who is my source? Who is my resourcer? Now, as Juliana shared, she grew up in a house where they experienced the faithfulness of God, where, where they experienced God's abundance. And friends, the abundance of God is something that we should never underestimate. And this passage makes it really clear. Sometimes at home, when I'm with my girls, I'll say to them, I love you. And they'll say, I love you more. And I'll say, I love you most. I love you. Now, that's known as the positive degree, right? It's a good thing. I love you. But I love you more. Well, that's taking it one step further. And that's called the comparative degree, right? I love you more than you love me. But then there's the superlative degree. I love you most. And you can't beat most because it's the superlative. It's like the triple dog dare in the movie, A Christmas Story. The triple dog dare is unbeatable. And verse 8 and 9 is kind of like God's triple dog dare for us. Only it's not a triple dog dare. It's a triple dog blessing. It's the superlative. Only it's not one superlative. It's stacked superlatives. One on top of the other. Okay, listen to it. It says, our God is able to bless you. Which is nice. I like being blessed. Only it's not just that. It says he blesses us. It says he blesses us with abundance. He blesses us abundantly. Okay, great. I will take that, God. So that in all things, okay, wonderful. Thanks, God. At all times, okay, God's still going. Having all that you need, okay, this is getting a little awkward, God. You will abound. Now, I don't think we use the word abound enough. And I love the idea of abounding in every good work. Friends, these are stacked superlatives. This is God's triple dog blessing to you. He can bless you. He can bless you abundantly. He can bless you abundantly in all things. He can bless you abundantly in all things at all times. He can bless you abundantly in all things at all times so that having all that you need, and he can bless you abundantly in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound, and one thing more, in every good work. So there are seven elements mentioned here, right? So it's not even a triple dog blessing. It's a septuple God's blessing. And small wonder that after hearing that, that we read verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. God promises to supply your needs and he does that so that you can be the answer to other people's prayers so that he will be glorified. He blesses you so that you can be part of God's kingdom coming here on earth. Friends, missions 
organizations don't run by themselves. Churches don't run by themselves. Nonprofits don't run by themselves. They run on this dirty little thing called cash. Only it isn't a dirty little thing. It's a thing that God uses and sanctifies and puts to good work. It's a good thing. You know, the church has sometimes done a rubbish job at taking amazing gifts from God and somehow turning them into dirty little things that no one should ever mention. Sex is one such thing. What an incredible gift from God. I mean, who could even come up with such a great idea and yet don't mention it in church? And money is another word. How dare a pastor come into my home and talk to me about money? Isn't money, you know, a private thing and a personal thing, a thing I should hold really close to my chest that no one should know about except me? Oh, come on, give me a break. Money is an, is an awesome thing. Money is a tool to be used for God's glory. It's a weapon to be wielded to fight the, the foes of unbelief and fear and hopelessness and need. Money can tear down Satan's strongholds. Money given in faith can tear down Satan's strongholds. You know, just this past week, we as a church were able to help someone with their bills. Why? Because we had money as a local church. And why did we have money as a local church? Because you gave. It's not rocket science. And man, if you can give cheerfully, then how much more amazing is that? You know, Matt and Nari are seeing people transformed over in Cambodia. Why? Because we support them. And we support them because you give. It's that simple. When... Um, Wendy and I went on the mission field. We gave away our Toyota Matrix, our car. Now, we could have sold it and maybe got some cash for it. And we could have used the cash. We didn't have a lot at that time, but we were so overwhelmed at God's leading and God meeting our needs and our financial needs so that we could go to the mission field um, that we gave away our car. So those who gave to us to support us going to the mission field, freed us up to actually give our car to someone who needed it. And, and I only tell you this because, because we were inspired to give our car away because a few years earlier, our friends had given us their vehicle. And when you've been on the receiving end of generosity, it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier to hold more loosely to stuff. But here's, but here's the funny thing. Just a couple of months ago, we needed a second vehicle, and without us asking, someone gave us their vehicle. And so even though we, we gave one car away, we're still in debt to the tune of one car. Now, of course, we don't look at it like that, but the point is that you cannot outgive God. You know, God is the, is, is the God of the stacked superlatives. God is the God of the septuple God blessing. So who resources you? He does. Now, as we wrap up, let's circle back to verse 5. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So really, the question being asked by verse 5 is, where do you need to follow through? Where, you know, we... Looked at where am I sowing and what is my freedom. Uh, we looked at who resources me in verse 8 and 9. And, and so now we're asking the question, um, 
yeah, where do I need to follow through? Maybe you need to ask, where am I sowing? Are you planting these money seeds or are you keeping them nice and warm in your pocket? Friends, multiplication only happens when, when you give the seed away. Maybe you, you, you need to ask, where is my freedom? Like in verse 7, when's the last time that you sat down as a single or as a couple or as a family and you seriously asked yourself, uh, ask yourselves, what is in our hearts to give? What is in my heart? What is the amount that we can give cheerfully? And then you can give it. You know, I, I, I really believe it's in the power of God to whisper a number into your mind. And he might even tell you where the money's meant to go. He can do that. We um, made a decision as a family to more than tithe on our gross income, uh, as well as uh, personally supporting ministries, uh, missionaries separate to that. We decided that a few years ago, and I can tell you that we are never short. And now we, we almost give us a reflex we have learned to cheerfully give, but it took fearfully giving at the beginning. You see, faithful but fearful giving at the start leads to cheerful giving later. Or maybe you need to ask yourself, like in verse 8 and 9, who resources me? Maybe you need to remember who the source of your wealth is, as verse 8 tells us. Maybe you need to remember that God is the God of the stacked superlatives who wants to septuple God bless you. He wants to bless you abundantly in all, t- in all things at all times. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You know, the thing is that, that when we give, we can sometimes have this mistaken thinking that we're, we're doing God a favor. We think that when we give, we're redirecting our resources um, so that he can have them. But maybe instead we should flip that. Maybe instead we should say that when we don't give, we are redirecting God's resources away from him and to us. We heard about George Muller last week. He, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. He, he established 117 schools that, that schooled uh, more than 120,000 young folks, and he prayed in the money, and God sovereignly raised up people to give to the work that he was involved in. So who do the orphans that were saved through George Muller's ministry have to thank? Who will they walk up to in heaven saying, I've been looking for you. I just wanted to say thank you for giving by faith. It will be the people who sowed generously. It will be the ones who decided in their hearts what they would give, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. It will be the ones who knew that they were blessed abundantly, who in all things, at all times, having all that they need, they abounded in every good deed. Those are the ones who the orphans of Muller will seek out. And I wonder, who will you seek out in heaven to thank Maybe it's someone right now that you have no idea about. But then as you realize then all the steps and the pieces and the sacrifices and the moments of stepping out and the financial decisions that it took to bring you to Christ, when you realize all of that, you will realize all of the people who through, through their faithful giving helped you come to Christ. You will, you will be amazed at God's plan and you will rejoice. 
And I also wonder who will come up to you after 7,820 years and say, there you are. I've been looking all over for you. I realize now the part that you played in my coming to faith in Christ. So thank you for giving by faith. Let's pray. Lord, money is not a dirty little word. It's a, it's a resource that, that you use and you sanctify and you, um, yeah, that, that, that you send it where it's needed, Lord. And I know, Lord, that, that, uh, that when we give, it's a step of faith. But, Lord God, may we know uh, the joy of the septuple God blessing. May we know um, that you are a faithful God and that you will meet our needs. And that, Lord God, as we give, as we sow those seeds, Lord God, we will see a harvest. We will see a multiplication that we would never do if we keep our resources safe in our pocket or safe in our bank account or safe in our savings. Lord, Lord, would you show us how to step out in faith? Because it's so key. And uh, Lord, your, your kingdom coming here on earth uh, in many ways hinges on this, Lord God. There are, there are people who've never heard the gospel who need to, and money is holding it back, Lord God. And so I pray that uh, you would show us what, what part in this grand scheme that we have to play. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.